This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need a Bible, raise your hand so we can get you one. We're in Philippians this morning. Continuing our series through the book of Philippians titled, It's All in Your Head. The title of today's message, starting in verse 27 of chapter 1, is Single Mind. Single Mind. So while you're turning there, let's go ahead and lift up this time to the Lord. Father, thank you that we can see you moving in our lives. Thank you that we can see you moving in other people's lives around us. That no matter how bleak things may seem, sometimes we can put our hope and trust in you for today. We can put our confidence in you because you are good. You're a good, good father. God, we thank you for your word, for the talented worship team that you've blessed us with these people who have these gifts and talents that they use for your glory, not for their own benefit, for your glory to encourage and edify and uplift your church. We thank you, God, and, and we pray that the, the fruit of our lips would be not just words, but they would be truth from our hearts. We, we love you. We worship you with our words. We worship you with the studying of your word. We worship you through our tithes and offerings. So God, we pray that you would open our hearts today, plant that seed that would bear fruit. You would speak to us, you would teach us, that we could go out from here as better representatives of who you are, knowing you clearer, knowing you more than we did when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> I'm pretty excited about this series through Philippians, if you guys haven't noticed yet, it really is pivotal. It really is foundational. Everything that happens in our lives starts upstairs first. It starts in our head. It starts in our brains, our thoughts. We really need to be careful with what we give ourselves over to when it comes to our thoughts and our mind. <clears throat> and the title of today's message is Single Mind. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> And it really has two meanings. The first meaning is single-mindedness for us is, is focus on something. The opposite of being single-minded and, and having unity, the opposite is being double-minded. Being double-minded, James talks about in chapter 1 of James, and we're actually going to turn there and look at that as well. But we don't want to be the kind of people that the Bible talks about, that James talks about, that are double-minded. And there's a couple examples that we're going to look at that Jesus talks about or gives us illustrations of double-mindedness as well. And as we go through Philippians chapter 1, this last section of Philippians chapter 1, and also look at James chapter 1, we're going to have six points that I want you guys to follow along with. There's, there's a, a few here in Philippians, and there's a few in James. And you guys remember, 
if you did such and such, you might be a redneck. You guys remember that? Jeff Foxworthy, 90s? This kid. Well, I have six points for you that, that can help you identify if you do these things, you might be double-minded. Now, I want to preface this message with this, okay? This is not meant to be condemning. It's not meant to bring condemnation on you. But, but to one degree or another, we all struggle with this issue of double-mindedness. Because we're in the flesh and, and we deal with things on a daily basis, we have relationships with people, <clears throat> and it's sometimes hard to... to settle down and stay in the place of trusting God fully with all of our hearts, what we're going through. We vacillate, which we shouldn't do, and that's the warning today. It's kind of a gentle reminder to to push us in the right direction because it's all in your head. It's how we think, and he's going to continue this train of thought as we go into our text this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. So starting in verse 27, let's look. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether it, I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. In this first section, I have four things that he lists for them that, that they should be aware of, that they should be doing Number one, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do you know the things that you do, the conduct that people see is a direct result of the thoughts that you keep. It's, it's manifested, it comes out. The Bible says that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The more that you get to know somebody, the more they can't help but allow them to be themselves to be revealed, right? It's, it's true. When I'm doing counseling or talking to somebody, I, I don't want to talk. I want you to talk. You share with me, how are you doing? What are you going through? And if they start to, to level off or go down and, and stop talking, I'll ask a question or I'll try to stir or point in a, in a, in a different direction to, to get them to talk because eventually how they're really feeling is going to start to come out. And I'm not doing that to try to get them in a place of judgment so I can say, aha, you sinner. I've been waiting for you to say that. I finally got it. No, it's so that we can, uh, so that I can help them, so I can help identify, address, because the first step to addressing something that's wrong in our lives is what? It's recognizing it. It's saying, this is something that needs attention with me. This is something that needs attention in my life. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Ever know somebody who their life doesn't live up with, to what they say they believe? I was in construction. I was a teamster in the Teamsters Union before I went to Bible college, and I was very zealous. I was sharing the gospel with all these different construction guys that I worked with, and there was this one guy that I didn't get to know too much, but I'd like to talk to him, and I hadn't had a chance to share with him yet, but he would always come over and talk to me. I was the water truck guy. He'd come over and talk to me, and this one day he jumps up on the side of my truck, and he's talking, and this guy could put a sailor to shame. He's an iron worker that just... He just 
every other word is like, it's not necessary, man. I didn't say anything to him, you know, and I'm listening to the radio. He's like, oh, what are you listening to? I said, I listen to Christian radio. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. He said, you're a Christian? So am I. I'm like, you are? Okay. And, I, and he said, what church do you go to? And I said, Calvary Chapel, Spring Valley. He said, so do I. I said, really? He said, yeah. And then I happened to bump into him a couple times at church. And something happened, you know? Maybe his life was, he was in a difficult place at that point. Or maybe he was just struggling in general. I don't know. But when he knew that there was brotherly accountability on the job site, his conduct started to change. And then years later, uh, a couple years later, he pulled me aside at church and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that working on the job site with you changed my life. Because of this, I recognized that the things that I was doing and saying was not living up to who I said I was. And I appreciated that, obviously, but the, the truth is, for, for you and for me, the things that we do, the things that come out of our life, the conduct is a direct, <laughs> a direct response to what we think and what we truly actually believe. We have to be thinking about who we are so that our conduct is worthy of Christ and is demonstrated in that way. Number one, the conduct. Does our lives demonstrate what we say we believe? So that whether we come, I come and see you or I'm absent. He's like, whether I see it for myself or I hear from somebody else. Because if it comes out, it's going to be evident to others and people are going to address it. That you stand fast in one spirit. Number two, he wants them to do, he wants them to, to stand fast. He wants them to be steadfast, unwavering, not giving up. Because when times get difficult, it's, it, it, you start to question, don't you? You start to think, maybe I should just give up. He says, no, let your conduct demonstrate who you are. Stand fast, don't give up. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What is this? This is a, a, a unity in the church. It's a unity in fellowship, this one-mindedness. And there's nothing more beautiful than when brothers dwell together in unity. As I shared this with the first service, I want to share it with you guys as well. One thing that I love about our fellowship is the unity in Christ, the unity in the Spirit. There isn't division. There isn't double-mindedness in relationships. You know, to be single-minded means that you have to be selfish to some degree. We're going to talk more about that when we get into our six points. And then lastly, not terrified, unafraid, which is a direct result, a demonstration of you trusting God, not afraid. In fact, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition. This is our number one of our six points you might be double-minded if, number one, if you're taking notes, you might be double-minded if you live in some kind of fear. And this is why. This is why. Because God doesn't want you to be afraid of anything. Perfect love casts out all fear. And what you're saying by having a fear in this thing or in this circumstance or in this problem is that it is greater than God's ability to take care of it. 
And there is nothing that's greater than God's ability to take care. Don't live in fear. Don't allow fear to have any part of your life. And you and I both know that I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to you because we all deal on a daily basis of things that we can exercise in our brains that we give ourselves over to in fear or we have confidence and trust in God because of who he says he is. Don't be afraid. It leads to double-mindedness. And we'll see when we get there. In fact, we'll, we'll turn there now. James chapter 1, flip to your right. Or scroll. Or look on the projector. We have many ways for you to follow along with us. My pages are sticking together. One of my favorite verses in James we're going to start out with. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We have points two, three, and four in this section of Scripture. Number one, uh, I'd like to reemphasize again. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. I love this verse so much. You know why? Because I'm so stupid. (laughs) I so lack wisdom on a regular basis. And I'm like, God, your word says that if anyone lacks wisdom, you know me. (laughs) Give me wisdom, God. I need wisdom in this situation. But don't ask not expecting to receive. That's a problem. Don't ask God for something and then immediately afterwards say, God probably doesn't even want to give that to me anyway. And anybody that does think that, you're, you're, in a, you're in a bad position. We're going to get to that point here in a second. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. You might be double-minded if you doubt God's love and care for you. I think that that's a strong, powerful word. It is for me. You might be double-minded if you doubt God's love and care for you. Because this is what God says. He says, I don't want you to worry about anything. I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. I don't, want, I don't want you to get stressed out. I don't want there to be any fear in your life. I'm going to fully care for you. And we start to doubt God's love and care for our lives. We start to put the emphasis on how we can take care of ourselves and where we're at in this world. And God says, don't, don't, don't go there. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Number three, you might be double-minded if you don't expect good things from God. It's that expectation again, you know? That that if you're not expecting God to do good things in your life, where are you? Are, Are you expecting God to do bad things in your life? I hope not. Oh God, you're good. Even in the bad things that happen. Even in in the most ridiculously difficult times, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
And you know, when, when, when I'm going through the most difficult time in my life and somebody quotes that verse, I want to punch them in the face because it's like, you don't know how I feel right now. But the reality is I should punch myself in the face because it does work together for good because God is good. And, and if I'm not trusting him or expecting good things from him, then I'm the problem. I'm the issue. Definitely not God and definitely not my circumstances. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Number four, you might be double-minded if you are unstable. You're an unstable person. It's pretty simple, right? Pretty straight to the point. There has to be a measuring rod. There has to be a way to see, you know, God, where am I at right now? Where are my thoughts? Who do I know you to be? How can I be confident in that and stand in that and move forward? Because I know that you're good. And I'm not going to vacillate. I'm not going to be like a wave in the sea, tossed to and fro, whatever direction the wind decides to blow. I'm pushed in that direction. No, God, I trust you. I expect good things from you. You are a good God. You're good to me and you're going to care for me. There's no room for fear in my life. There's two places that Jesus uh, illustrates this in the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to look at it with me this morning. It's pretty interesting. Number one is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is what it boils down to. It's, it's a God's will, eternal perspective, or, or temporal, carnal, this world. I'm in charge, and I got to make things happen for myself. You can't serve two masters. God says, who's your master going to be? Is it going to be your circumstances? Is it going to be the people? Is it going to be money? Is it going to be how are you going to care for yourself? Or is it me? Because if it's... If it's it has to be one or the other. It can't be both. It's not possible. There has to be some level of greater confidence in one or the other. The second is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. And this is one of those verses that I really like. I like all the verses in the Bible. I'm just kidding you. But this one's really good. Listen. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> That's like one of the sickest burns from Jesus. Have you ever had Jesus say to you before, Get behind me, Satan? Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What does Peter exemplify for us this morning? Double-mindedness. He says that he's about the kingdom of God. He's following Jesus. He's following Jesus. He gets to be with him every day. But he says, your purpose and plan and will in going to the cross is not accurate. We need you to stay alive. We need you to stay with us. We need you to throw off the yoke of the Romans. And he says, you're not mindful of the will of God. You know what? Satan 
And the reason that he identifies uh, Peter as Satan is because Satan would do anything to stop the son from being obedient to the father. Anything. It wasn't even so much the cross, even though it was the cross and it was everything that Jesus was going to do, but just, just to get the son to not be obedient to the father. You know, it's the same is true for you and for me. What the devil wants to do with you is he wants to prohibit you from being obedient to God, your father. And this is the difference between sacrifice and obedience. See, because you can make sacrifice, 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 and all the world religious systems, institutionalized religion, is all based on what you can do for God, and it's all based on sacrifice. But what God truly wants is he wants our obedience because he's our father. And, and the children of Israel in the Old Testament, they would make sacrifice and sacrifices. And he says, I don't want your stinking sacrifices. This is God saying, I don't want your stinking sacrifices. I have the cattle on a thousand hills. I created everything in existence. I don't need these offerings from you. What I want is your obedience. That was what the intention was. It was here. This is how I want you to be my people. This is how I want you to represent me. And the devil comes in and says, did God really say? And God to Adam, he was like, you guys had one thing not to do. <laughs> one thing not to do. You can do anything else. You had one thing. But that one thing demonstrates obedience to God, submission, surrender to him, which allows us to reap the benefits of God's kingdom more fully, most fully in our lives. It's when we walk in disobedience that we separate ourselves from the promises and the kingdom life of God. You are not mindful of the things of God, he said to Peter. You are not mindful of the big picture here. You are not mindful of, of the, the correct, proper perspective. You're thinking about things in a time linear continuum that that you might be in control of to some degree or another. And then we can ask ourselves the same question, not in condemnation, again, not in condemnation, but just in honesty. Are we mindful of the, of the things of God? Jesus makes it so simple. God wants it to be simple for us. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. See, the world flips it, you know, gets it out of whack, flips that, puts the cart before the horse and says, figure everything out and then God's gonna take care of you. False, it's a lie of the enemy. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and he'll bring everything to you. And it's, it's, a, it's incredible and miraculous to see in my own life and other people's lives how in obedience they submit themselves to God, they seek him, they seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and, and they get the, the job that they need. And they get a wife or a husband, and they get that dog that they wanted. No, I'm just, whatever. God takes care of you. And it's so incredibly out of your control. People say, how did you do that? I say, I don't know. I didn't do it. I'm just about my father's business. I'm submitted to him. And he just, it's like the word of God is alive and active and it's real. I just submit myself to him and to the word and my life looks differently. So I can't change 
Or I can't address the things that I need to address in my life until I realize that that's what I'm doing. So God, in his grace, he says, Tim, you're being double-minded in this. You're praying a prayer, and you're doubting that, I, that I'm going to meet it. And I can't really give you anything if, if that's what your mentality is, if, if that's what your thinking is. We can't have this kind of whatever ho-hum, eeyore, woe-is-me perspective of who God is and, or his perspective of us And receive good things from him. It doesn't come both ways. We submit ourselves to him. We trust him. Back to Philippians chapter 2. We finished one. Going into 2 verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. This is all rhetorical because these are the things that we do have in God. There's any consolation in Christ. There's, a, there's, a, there's any comfort in Christ. And then he repeats it. If any comfort of love. Do you love anybody? Does anybody love you? Yeah, I love you. <laughs> It's comforting, isn't it? It's comforting. Oh, they love me. I love them. God loves you. There's comfort in his love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Any comfort in love. Any fellowship of the Spirit. This is necessary because this is what God intended for us through the cross of Christ. To have fellowship with him. To get us together to have fellowship with with one another to do potlucks the last Sunday of every month. Thank you. If any affection and mercy fulfill my love, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. And that does happen. Like-mindedness brings joy. He says, fulfill my joy. Make me happy by being like-minded. But when we all sit out there together, for potluck and we hang out and we and have a meal together? You know what I hear a lot of? You know what Charles commented on before he did announcements? I hear laughter. I hear joy because there's like-mindedness. We're all here for the same reason. We want to hear from God and his 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 faithfulness, he he speaks to us. Thank you, Lord. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, we've been through four of our six points, you might be double-minded if. And now we have the last two, number five and six. So number five, as you can see in verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Number five, you might be double-minded if you are motivated by selfish ambition. If you are motivated by selfish ambition, you might be double-minded. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Number six, and the last one, you might be double-minded if you care mainly for your own interests. You don't care about what anybody else has to say or do or think or whatever. Your own interests. There's a potluck after this service. And some of you are going to stay and some of you are going to go. And I got to give you a hard time about this because I did it to the first service and I feel bad not doing it to you. If you decide to leave and not stay and have fellowship with the brethren, you might be double-minded. <laughs> Why? Because you only care for your own interests. I don't know what they put in that. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't like potlucks. I was talking to Gracie yesterday, and, and, and I said, hey, would you make this? And then afterwards, you know, if, if people don't eat it because they don't know what it is, we'll take it home, and I'll eat it at home. She's like, I'm not taking anything home from potluck. I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> She's like, you don't know what people put in there or, you know, little kids sticking their hands in there. Or... Oh, I guess you have a point, babe. Sorry. Hope she's not watching online in the nursery. <laughs> no, but on a serious note... Maybe going to potluck isn't about you. Maybe it's not for your benefit. Maybe you're going to have a conversation with a person. Maybe you're going to get to pray with somebody. Maybe you're going to get to share a moment or share life with somebody that so needs it because you're part of the body. Okay, that's enough. No more pressure. It's just, it was easy to illustrate because it's today, okay? If you leave, it's okay. Nobody's going to be keeping track. But for us to be able to identify where we're at and what's coming out of our lives, to say, hey, this is what I need to deal with in my life. This is what I need to surrender, need to give over to the Lord. It's going to put us in a better, healthier place. Let's look at all six of these again. I'm going to have a, a, a response, how we can respond if we do identify. Because if you can't find one thing on this list that, that you can't identify with, you are a saint. <laughs> Everybody's got stuff. You're all saints anyway, but you're perfect. You've arrived. Because we all have issues that we deal with, and, and these are some of them that... that we point to something that needs to be addressed for us before the Lord. Number one, you might be double-minded if you live in some kind of fear. God doesn't want you to have fear in your life. God doesn't want you to be surrendered to fear. God wants you to hope. God wants you to expect. God wants you to know that he's going to take care of you. You might be double-minded if, number two, you doubt God's love and care for you. Now, I have to say this to people all the time. God loves you. God cares for you. Don't doubt that. Don't be double-minded. Don't think that you, you're going to just do it on your own. Don't doubt God's love and care for you. Number three, you might be double-minded if you don't expect good things from God. This isn't all, you know, pie and roses and puppy dog tails and rainbows and unicorns. We do go through difficulty in life and, 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 and have to deal with difficult things, but, but you can always expect good things from God, even in most difficult circumstances. Number four, you might be double-minded if you're unstable. <laughs> Pretty straight up. Number five, you might be double-minded if you are motivated by selfish ambition. Now, again, we're talking about Christians here. We're not talking about people in the world because everybody out there is motivated by selfish ambition. That's the definition of life out in the world. 
But as a believer, you should not be motivated by selfish ambition. Number six, you might be double-minded if you don't come to potluck. No, I'm just kidding. That was a, that was a freebie. You might be double-minded if you care mainly for your own interests. It's about what I want, what I need. And I, I have to say this again. This is not to bring condemnation. We can all identify with at least one of these things in our lives. It's to bring illumination. Recognizing your condition is the first step to correcting it. And there's four things I have for you that we can do Four R's. I even made them all R's to help you remember. Number one, when you recognize that you're being double-minded in an area of your life, what's the first R? What, what should you do? You guys know. Recognize. Repent. First of all, you recognize. Number two, I got ahead of myself. Repent. Once you recognize, then you'll be able to be in the place of saying, I don't want to be this way. I repent, God, I submit to you. I don't want to have this process of thinking. I don't want to have this mentality. It's taking me in the wrong direction. Number three, remove. Stop doing it. Remember, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Remove. And then number four, this is important, rejoice. Because you rejoicing in a decision that you've made to stop being double-minded and to submit yourself to God is a confirmation that it's actually happened. It's not you trying to do something. It's the confirmation of, thank you, God, for answering that prayer. Thank you, God, for meeting me already when you, you don't see it, but you know he heard and you can have confidence that he's going to answer. Have you ever rejoiced in a prayer uh, before you received the fulfillment of it? You prayed something and said, God, please, Lord, hear me in this thing. And thank you for hearing me. And I rejoice in the answer before it even comes. Because I know you are good. And you know how God responds to that? Oh, I love you so much. And, and, and for the bad kid, you know, the, the, that's doubting, I love you too, but I want you to understand that I'm good. I'm going to take care of you. You know, when my kids get in trouble my tendency is to dish out the, the discipline as soon as possible. You know, first thing, that come, first thing that comes to my head, they did something wrong, you're grounded for two years, get out of here. I don't want to see your face, you're grounded for two years. You know, you, you, you're not driving until you're 18. I don't care, whatever. It's extreme. So in our family, whenever something happens so that it's not a, a reaction, it's more of a response, I say, okay, something's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know what it is right now. I, I, I know what I'd like it to be, but I don't know what it is right now, and we're going to wait five or ten minutes, and then we're going to see what the consequences are. That way I have a little time to kind of, you know. Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to have my kids say, you're grounded for two years, and then five minutes you can go back on the electronics again. That's bad parenting. It sends mixed messages. And God can't, he, he's, he's even, you know, to a greater degree, God can't be like, hey, I can't do this for you because you're trying to take care of it yourself, but I'll do it anyway. And then, oh, they think they did it and don't give the glory to God. Does that make sense? I, I can't, I, I really want to help you. I want, but I can't because it's going to send you the wrong message. 
So here's the response. And we want to be in a place where we're able to receive good things from God and rejoice and give him glory because he is good, because we have the right mentality. We have the right mindset. In closing, this is what I I thought to kind of bring it all together. Don't be trapped in the life of the man whose son was not well, who his son was demon-possessed, and he came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, if you are able, don't be like that guy. We can identify with him. And, And Jesus said, if you believe, all things are possible. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Don't identify with that. It's a slippery slope. Yes, we can identify. We can say, yeah, like there's some degree that I can believe better, so God help my unbelief. No, it points more to a doubt in God's provision than a wanting to believe more. What does he say to God? If, uh, to Jesus, if you are able. He's able. He's perfectly 100% all the time able. But do you believe that not only is God able, but he's willing Maybe not exactly the way that you want him to do it, but, but he's willing. He's willing to meet you. He's willing to teach you. And it's going to be good. Don't be stuck in that mentality of I believe, but help my unbelief. This points to more of a doubt in God's ability, which reveals double-mindedness, which prohibits him from working fully in the way that he can and wants to in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today, God. We thank you that, that we can trust it. We can trust and know that this is your word to us. And as we exercise it and put it to practice in our lives, we get to see the fruit that comes from it fruit of submitted hearts, fruit of submitted lives. And we don't want to live in double-mindedness. We want to live in single-mindedness towards you, focused on you, your kingdom, your righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. Thank you, Father. I want to give you guys an opportunity today. I understand it's difficult and it's not really fun. But if you've been able to identify through today's word that there's some double-mindedness happening in your life and you want to do the first thing, you want to do the first R, recognize it so that you can do number two, so that you can repent. I want to give you an opportunity with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand up so I can pray with you. You don't want that to have any place in your life. Anybody else? Father God, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, and thank you for their honesty. You know the the state of their heart even before that hand went up. You know the person who hesitated or didn't raise their hand, but they're struggling with this very thing. And we're here this morning because we know that you want to meet us in this. We're going to rejoice in the answered prayer, submitting ourselves to you, being of one mind. God, I pray that you'd have just a special measure of grace for them today. Even this week, God, that you'd bless them this week with the perspective 
of thinking that you're going to take care of them, that it's not in their hands, that they are not out of control, only in the sense that you are in control. Bless them, Father. Meet them right where they're at, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I also want to give you guys an opportunity. I don't know everybody here, you know, and I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, having a relationship with God, forgiveness of sins, you've never made a public profession of faith before, and you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the reconciliation to God, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. So again, with everybody's heads bowed, please, and and eyes closed, if you've never made that decision and you want to make it this morning, I want to pray for you. Raise your hand so that we can talk afterwards and I can pray for you right now. Anybody at all that's never made that decision before? God, thank you for this time in your word. Bless the food and the people that prepared it. Bless our fellowship together when we, when we have that food together, Lord. Bless your church. Send them out filled and warm and blessed to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.